feel like we always start these podcasts this way, but it's just really my entry point oh. for many reasons. As if you listened last week, time. <laughs> is, last week was a ride. Was so a I'm ride. interested to see where this week is. You're welcome. Uh, it is March 1st. It's just, it's just more the like, okay, mm-hmm. we got out of February. It's March 1st. <laughs> um, the shortest it, month, it, just in case month. you. I don't know that. when spring officially starts, but in my head it kind of starts in March because that's when spring break happens, etc. For Austin people, South by Southwest is coming up. Our 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 world is going to turn upside down as places that didn't exist before appear, and people say, "Go meet me at the Peacock House," and you're like, the "Peacock it's not House a real, is not a real place. It's I, not a place on a map. <laughs> I need an address. I need what it was called." Yep. I need to know what's happening there. Is there a drink or a taco? Uh, I There's hate not to- a drink or a taco. I'm not going. I have to say, like, people ask us a lot. You know, we're in Austin. We've gone to South by. We know them very well. Our partners come into town. All of these things. It's very exciting for us as the locals to just, like, go see a bunch of people and exciting programming. But, like, how to approach South by. And I have to say... Also, my brother hates that I say South by and not South by Southwest. That's so dumb. Everyone says South by. Thank you. Uh, I do go looking for the free food and drink pretty. Like, I feel like I run myself into the ground. And the places that I usually go to are either, like, closed because they've been taken over. Or there are long lines. Or you're on the run. And so, like, who's going to keep me alive? Okay, well, here's a new bar for you to set. Great. What food and drink is worth it to hunt down because it can't just be like that is also changing I will not traverse the city Mm -hmm. to get to anything you're let down too often what you really want to do is just gonna keep using my discover word you don't want to go to the place that everyone is talking about because like mm -hmm. it's gonna be insane yep you want to stumble upon the taco and the bar thing that like not everyone is talking about like apparently last year there was a Cheeto house I never made it in but it was a it was Cheeto it was Mm. It was extremely very fun, and, and apparently now there's like the origin story of flame and hot Cheetos. I don't know what's happening in the world, um, but I also will not try that hard to get to the taco and the drink. I just I want to know where they all are and which one's closest to me at any given time. Yep. The I, problem is I hate to say this to the marketing side of things. I don't care who gives it to me. I know, I know, and just because you give it to me doesn't mean I'm going to go watch your no thing or look at your product or care at and, the end of this. And therefore, like, just just know that as your as your budgets and your value, like, what is the actual? Well, because I think what you need to do, yeah, tell me in solving the world's problems, not you, yeah, but like, I need to find a taco. People, yeah, is you have to. It's like anything else, either this is why sampling is such a great thing. Like, of course, if you're going to, if you are Cheetos and I've never had a Cheeto, the best way to get me to buy them is to give me them for free. And then I'm going to, I I don't know who that person is, but, but for like a product, obviously sampling and doing activations where you get to try the product. Cause then if I try it and like it, I'm going to go buy it. Like the Wisconsin cheese house. Yeah. That they did a few years ago. Like that was, that was good. That, South by virtual activation was the best. They mailed you cheese. They mailed you cheese. <laughs> and then you got on a Zoom with Nick Offerman and ate cheese. It was very random, but I liked it. But for these other activations, yes, entice me in with, for this example, the taco. But then you have to show me your product that then I want to watch. Like, you have to force me to watch 
a trailer for a show. Yeah. So then I'm like at least a little bit interested and then going and watching it. But if you just give me a taco, but then See, don't actually give me any hands on with what I'm supposed to do. I I'm going to rethink my whole thing. The point of South by is to have good programming and <laughs> showcase free food and showcase talent. Like I knew this music, TV, film, tech showcase and tell you things and hear from people. I literally, my brain just filtered through what were my favorite South by moments. Garth Brooks oh. at the convention center where he stood up every time he talked to somebody and asked someone their name and then like gave them direct eye contact. Uh, he was and the best. Honestly made me buy an Amazon. Oh no, she's going to hear me. Um, the a word, a L E X a, um, I left that because Garth Brooks music was on Amazon exclusively and Garth talked to me about why he did Amazon and I bought, I went home and bought one mm -hmm. like, and I'm also a big Garth Brooks fan, but it did make me go buy a product. Like that should be really valuable to Garth yeah. Brooks and Amazon, et cetera. Like I think about. Westworld panels with Westworld activation that was like a really big deal. That was very cool. With launching of that. Like, honestly, even when HBO did the Game of Thrones, like, uh, you donated blood. It was a blood drive. That was, was a really, really cool. cool activation. Like, I think it should make you, it should be based and rooted in programming and talent that you want people to either come to or discover. And then you should give them something kind of on the other side of it. Like, I feel like. That Game of Thrones blood drive had like a burger on the other side, <laughs> like a P. Terry's burger or something. <laughs> I can't remember. But I shouldn't be seeking out the taco. I should be seeking out the cool thing. And then there should be a taco when I get there. <laughs> Moral of the story. All of this started because it's March in Austin. And we wanted to talk <laughs> about South by Southwest, which we're very excited to go to. And there's a lot of good programming continually being announced. But also the connection here to today's release, and I've got it on the tip of my tongue, oh, great. is we're releasing Angeline, a conversation with Emmy Rossum and Allison Miller, which was on Peacock. And Peacock did have a very big activation there last year. And what I think is really interesting is Peacock's, I'm not going to get it right, but it, it launched a little while ago. Like I'm going to say two years. It's probably not that long, but it's more than a year. Um, and there are, a place for a lot of retro programming. You can see a lot of old NBC shows there. It's a mm -hmm. really great library of programming, which not all streaming has, but they've been working out their originals and how to be different from say an NBC linear original. And I really think they are doing some interesting things. Uh, last month, maybe at the end of January, it's about to have its finale. They've got poker face, which, which I really like. Which is Ryan Johnson's uh, show with Natasha Lyonne. Um, and it, I don't know if you know this actually, it is their kind of modern answer to like Columbo in that huh. it is a case of the week. Yes. So they're also learning about like library parking. Columbo is on Peacock. Which is interesting going into Poker Face if you have not watched it. I watched the first episode with some friends and didn't know what you were watching. Didn't know what I was watching. And the whole first episode, you keep waiting for what's the, what's the like, not even week to week, but like, Inciting where's the show going? <laughs> yeah, where's the show going? And it takes, the first episode takes so many twists and turns and they like pose something and then solve it and then pose something and then solve it. And then a different twist. I'm like, I have zero idea what's where happening. the show is going. Yeah. And then you get to the end of the first episode and then even just looking at the description for the next week, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a case of the week with this bigger journey that's happening right. that had no idea going in. Yeah. 
So it's just a really fun show. Yeah. In a way that I also didn't know from the very beginning. No. It was gonna and be. it's got great cast because it's a case of a week. Each episode gets an awesome guest star like coming into it. Anyway, my point with that is Peacock's originals and like what is a Peacock original? And I think that is really interesting that I don't know if that was part of the pitch, but like you can watch Columbo here, but then you can watch this modern mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson version of a mystery box show. Um, Natasha Leone is also awesome. I know that that's like not a new information for anyone. Um, But I think what they're making is interesting. And I think who they're making it with and the deals that they have. So Angeline came out of the brain of Allison Miller, but is also produced with Sam Ismail, who's making a lot of different shows for the studio and company and stars Amy Rossum and is based on a character for a very specific character for anybody who lived in LA in the last 20 years like she Angeline's a real person who wears all pink and drives a pink car and was sort of the first none of these words will she like and I'm not an authority but like a first like influencer kind of person that Mm -hmm. like created her own space and it's just it makes me really fascinated about why they wanted to make this show Sam Ismail coming from like Mr. Robot and like having a bit of carte blanche to like get behind shows that he wants to make and make this limited series about this person that if you don't live in LA, you probably don't know anything about and see Emmy take this like serious physical transformation. Yeah. She plays her at different ages even. And honestly, there's many reasons you may want to watch this show. Watching her specifically is pretty mesmerizing um, particularly as somebody who watched all seasons of Shameless, like she was unrecognizable to me. And to as an actor to see that kind of transformation, the reason this conversation was interesting to us at the festival was to look at that, to have Emmy talk to Allison Miller, who's the showrunner EP, about the character. And it just fits into a general fascination of like, what are we making? Where does yeah. it live? I'm Why are we making fascinated it? fascinated with especially actors that kind of get their pick. Not that every show yeah. that they want to do goes forward. We all know that the marketplace is tough right yes. now, as everyone keeps hearing. But why why this? Yeah. What drew you to this? Why is this the thing that you're like, I could pretty much do anything, and this is what I want to do, and this is the person I want to portray and the story I want to tell? Yeah, I totally agree. And so it was – I want to get Emmy back to do more things. This was the only thing she did at the festival – and hopefully now she's had a good time and wants to return. Um, but that was why, that's why we programmed it and that it continually is interesting to me as I watch more things come out and, you know, Sam make his next show and Emmy make her next show and Allison make her next show. Like what, what and why are we telling certain stories? And this was a fascinating conversation for that. It is for those um, tuning in. It is moderated by one of our favorites, longtime tried and true, ATX moderator, Danielle Terciano. So with that, listen to them tell you why they made the show. <laughs> South by Southwest is the world's largest gathering of creative professionals from the tech, film, television, and music industries. The event returns this March with an all-new lineup of talent waiting to be discovered. Their film and TV festival offers a first look at some of the year's biggest blockbuster hits and innovative works by new filmmaking talent. For nine days in March, you'll have the chance to see hundreds of exclusive premieres and venues all across Austin. The program features provocative dramas, documentaries, comedies, and genre standouts from all around the globe. 
Attendees will also have the opportunity to connect with a wide array of industry experts in their conference and mentor sessions. Learn how to join us and them for unparalleled discovery, learning, and networking at sxsw.com slash attend. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Um, so there was a good amount of people in this audience that like knew Evangeline before the show. So I do want to get you guys to speak a little bit about what you knew of her before you stepped into the show and how your love for, of her fueled the show. Emmy, if you want to start. Well, I first saw, I discovered Angeline much in the way that a lot of people in Los Angeles did, which was through the windshield of my car on her billboards. I was in LA for the first time, 12 or 13, auditioning for pilot season, and I saw the billboard, the breasts, the hair, the sunglasses, the mystery, right? Angeline in this sexy cursive and this phone number. And at 13, I certainly did not understand my own womanhood did not feel comfortable in my sexual power, certainly. Um, and I think that was the allure. She was so powerful in her body. And then I started asking people around town when I started seeing more billboards, who is this woman? And everyone's kind of, you know, their face would light up and then they would tell me a completely different story. Oh, you know, she's Marilyn Monroe reincarnated or she's an alien or she's, you know, just some chick from Ohio who married a rich chic who paid for all the billboards, or there's actually not just one, there's 12 of them, and you can rent one for a party. And I just thought like, wow, how fascinating that somebody could be so beloved and so famous, and yet such a mystery. And then in the Hollywood, when the Hollywood Reporter in 2017 released a story claiming to reveal her secret identity, um, almost like, you know, finding out that Superman is Clark Kent. Um, somehow the story only deepened for me and um, that was kind of the, the seed of, of the idea for the show for me. Yeah, for me it was much later. I came out for grad school so I was probably in my late 20s at that point and when I saw the billboard I, you know, I looked up at the image and I was like, oh, I wonder who that is. And then it was like, ding, like she's a genius because she has me <laughs> driving down the street wondering who she is. Um, so for me, it, it kind of instantly hit kind of what a great business idea it is um, that she came up with. But I would also just like to say thank you so much for having us. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm from, I live in Austin. I live in Austin in Travis Heights and I've, I love the festival. I've always wanted to be invited to the festival. I've always been like dreaming that someday I would be able to come to the festival and instead I got to come up here, which is really, really huge. So it's good to see you all, TV people. Yeah. So but because you had kind of different experiences, you saw Angeline for the first time through the billboard, through the same way, but different times in your lives, probably different connections to who you thought she was, who she wanted to be. Tell us a little bit about your collaboration when you came together to make this story and how your version of Angeline and your version of Angeline, did you have to compromise them to make this version of Angeline? How did that all come together? There are so many layers and talking about a show about Angeline becomes very meta yeah. because Angeline, our show is about the myth and the icon of Angeline and within that kind of so many different people um, like 
with any icon, right? Um, understand her. Um, she hits them emotionally differently. But our story celebrates all of the different versions and kind of comes at that from lots of different angles. So, um, but I think inherently, you know, there were a lot of women behind the making of this show. And for us, there were a lot of kind of deeply resonant thematic things that seemed to resonate um, um, within us, I, I didn't feel compromised. I just felt joy in working with you. Aww. It's kind of our last hurrah today. The show came out. This is kind of our last on-camera thing that we're doing for Angelina. At least for me, you'll probably still be doing it. I'll Zoom you next week. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it's funny because she asked me a few weeks ago, she said, oh, are you happy? Everything's coming out now. And I was just like, I'm kind of sad. Like, it's all... Like we've been thinking about this for so long, years of our lives, and, and just to finally have it out in the world, though, is, is the thing that kind of keeps us going, I think. We started shooting, um, we did six weeks before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and then we shut down for 18 months, and then we finished. <laughs> um, so, and a lot of shows didn't get to, right. so. Um, but that's uh, a huge time. I mean, even in that time, did you feel like you, your change, were you making big changes? Were you, was, were you thinking like, we have all this downtime, we're thinking about this show in our heads longer than we thought we would, now we have a slightly different take on a particular element. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, the studio certainly wanted us to. They wanted us to get back up and running as fast as possible. So we did, we tried, we talked about some things. They were like, oh, we chased the rates for a while. We're like, oh, in New Mexico, it's lower. We'll go shoot there. Like, let's go to London and shoot there. And then we're How like- How do you tell a story about <laughs> Los Angeles? Yeah. And because LA is right. really a character in the show. And Angeline's kind of the, the living, breathing embodiment of LA. She represents what you can do in LA, right? Mm -hmm. Which is commit to fantasy and then create these kind of like fantastical narratives like it's the birth of Hollywood and reinvention and all of the incredible icons that inspire that you know that inspired her whose identities were really crafted by men at studios yeah. she didn't she did that all for herself um, but yeah we did we did there were good things that came out of that downtime yeah, absolutely the dance sequence um was an idea from our director lucy yeah. cherniak uh, initially in that party there's a party sequence at the end of what's now episode four. Oh yeah we yes. should just say up front there might be some spoilers if oh. you haven't finished the series well. it is streaming on peacock in full <laughs> there's a dan there's a dance sequence and there are lots of moments of escape into fantasy because a Angelina is a self-mythologizer and, and her version of kind of fantasy has, has almost more emotional truth in it than a lot of the kind of factual, very um, grounded stories that are told by other characters about her. Um, and that was an idea that came out, uh, let's create a fantasy dance sequence as a way to, we can't shoot this big indoor crowded party in COVID. So instead, we're gonna look like we're going into a party and then we're gonna experience the party emotionally as Angeline experiences her fans adoring her with what else? It probably feels to her like she's descending from a pink moon being surrounded by her fans and there's a dance number and it's camp and there's backup dancers everywhere and it's like fabulous yeah. and there's pink feathers. Um, and it's like a intense, it's an incredible fantasy. Um, and so there were really interesting things from a production standpoint that came out of that. The first episode where we have a number of um, performances in clubs, mm -hmm. there's actually like 30 people in the audience. Right. But Matt Spicer, the director, had all of these great ways of just kind of like, we really went back to the footage from that era. We went to the late 70s and looked at videos that people had shot 
from the whiskey, and in the time, you know, you just can't see a lot. It's, it's really like a sea of silhouettes, and we kind of just leaned into that. And like, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can do that. There's no one there. Yeah, it looks great. hardly anyone there. Well, I just said, why not? But then again, there might be some, some studios, some networks, they might push back on changing the tone too much. Did well, you, we weren't did you really guys... changing tone. But also changing formats. Right. And oh. so that's, that's part of this is like, I mean, you have a very clear vision for what the show is. And again, this might be a spoiler for some of you, but as you were talking about, you know, Angelina has her version of who she is. We see these interview styles with other characters where they're telling a totally different story about what just happened. Um, but then you are going into these fantasy moments. And so was there any conversation around that? Did you have to kind of prove why that was important? No, I felt we were always got incredible support from, from Peacock as a partner. Um, and who doesn't love more camp fantasy? I think, I think it really was, if you think this is a better way to tell the story and it doesn't cost more, do it. That, that's well, always what it is, right? Like, what's the best story and we're not like giving you more money? <laughs> so if you can descend from a pink moon and not fill a room full of, full of like 300 extras, like, make sure. it happen. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Lucy Cherniak always had a very clear vision about using different stock footages, different cameras. So like all the interviews were, we rented the actual cameras in the 80s, you know, like all the videotape sequences were shot on videotape yeah. um, and transferred. So you can feel that in, when you watch it, that that's... Yeah how it was shot. Yeah. Um, and speaking of like the transformational aspect going into her minds, also just living with her through the day, like in that clip we saw, she is performing even in her daily life. Emmy, I want to talk to you a little bit about getting in and out of those moments. Um, first of all, just kind of walk us through a production day and if there were moments where you really had to go back and forth between either different decades, different complete emotional states, different um, levels of that performance and how you kind of, quite frankly, did that while keeping it all straight and keeping it all consistent. Well, it was like a, a years of process of developing the character, um, kind of in, in a vacuum, not knowing if I'd ever really get to do it. Um, and there were hundreds of hours of, of footage to pull from, um, from the time that she's 20 until her, I will say her chronological age now, which probably has a seven in front of it, although she wouldn't like me to say that because age doesn't exist. Um, but that's, that's a big undertaking and there's, there's a lot of footage that shows, um, how the body changes. Um, I worked with a coach to kind of analyze and also come up with like a, almost like a, a dictionary and a list of moves and flourishes um, that, that we could use and how to connect those to emotional moments so that they didn't feel performative. So I would notice in an interview, like in the Wally George interview, when, when men are coming too hard at her, her shoulder goes and she starts to like flick her head and I'd be like, okay, that's, we're gonna use a flick anytime. That is going to become our signature for that's how discomfort and anxiety and wanting to have control again, that's how it comes through the body. So connecting these things to emotional things so that they don't feel like, and now we're gonna do a walk. Mm 
right? And she says she idolizes the Barbie doll. So buying a Barbie doll and being like, okay, so the knee doesn't bend, the arm doesn't, doesn't go out at an angle. What would it feel like if that were my body, if I was so tightly held, if I needed that kind of control to feel like I could survive the day? Um, so connecting those things to like emotional ideas so it doesn't, and, and, and in that way kind of making the character your own. Um, and then of course there's a character that we meet much later um, that I play uh, well, we, we can talk about the that. origin story. Yeah, I was gonna um, say, I was gonna ask about that anyway, so if you wanna start, yeah. Right, and th there's no footage to go off of that, and there's no, there's no voice to kind of do and figure out, you know? So figuring out, well, okay, what's the connective tissue between the young body when it's kind of fully realized and has been cosmetically enhanced, but what does it look and feel like before that? What does it sound like, right? And we only had a couple, handful of photographs, some stories, and people describing what her voice might have sound like, sounded like, right? And so that was also an exploration. And in terms of the day, on the day, I would usually roll in at around 2.30? I was still in bed. 2.30 in the morning? <laughs> um, I had some 1.30 pickups and some 12.45 a.m. pickups. Um, and then I would be in hair and makeup between four and a half hours to eight hours on some days. Um, yeah, I would show up and she'd already be on like her third round of Starbucks. Third round of Starbucks ordering. <laughs> She's like, I had so many bonus points by the end. I know. <laughs> I know, but it was, it was interesting because I did find that it was a really nice, <laughs> nice way to eat. I, I had no other way to do it but besides like, treat it as an easing my way into the day. Um, do my vocal preparations, do my things, hang out with, you know, my hair and makeup squad and, and, and also, you know, get that chance to remind myself, this is the age that I'm playing this sure. day. This, these are my hand motions in these days. These are my sound, this is how my sounds change. This is how, th this is how I'm going to, like, think about all the different ways I can be into the scene and find that in my body and center myself because I wasn't switching between ages per day okay. because the makeup took too long. Yeah, we had to block it off that way, so she was only in one look for the day because it just took too long. So for those of you interested in the craft of it, I would not recommend it. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, really is, it really is incredible, the work that they did, and, 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 and I will selfishly say um, and shamelessly say that I hope that, that our HODs are recognized for their work because I think it's their attention to detail, their in, intense research, the, the, seri the technical aspect of what they mm -hmm. created here. I mean, Danny Glicker had over 700 costumes for the entire show. He um, handmade everything, all original fabrics. Even things that were just shown for one second in a photo shoot are completely original looks. Um, just, just like the no edge. detail. He would have you in things I had never seen, and I'm like, where have you been keeping that? Like, that's amazing. Fittings in the middle that. of the night, yeah. like just you really. You were asleep. You said. You were asleep. No. <laughs> Be the writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I think that like it. At, you know, we were lucky that that our that our team came back after the yeah. pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that just went to show how wonderful of a time everyone had and how 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 close that they felt to it. Yeah, and they were yeah. such a creative resource. I mean, I could go to Danny and be like. I, didn't, I knew I didn't have to worry about those decisions. I didn't have to worry about like, what somebody in a club in the late 70s in LA would wear because he's, he's got it. I could ask him even about other things. I mean, he just was such, they all lived in LA during that time and he would be able to tell me kind of if I was close or not. Right. And just being able to surround yourself by people you can um, 
absolutely trust and who understand the material and, and love the subject as much as you do um, was just such a huge gift to yeah. the process. I think respect for the character was really mm -hmm. important for us and all the, yeah. all the HODs deeply understood like the, the woman that she was and respected her and didn't yeah. think she was a joke. Right. And that was really important to us. Yeah, we always wanted to land with her. We talked a lot about that. Like, well, how do we land this with her on her side? And I, I do want to go back, though, because you were talking about, you know, the research a second ago and certainly the source material of the Hollywood Reporter article. But then the show does also talk about the documentary that technically came before the Hollywood Reporter article. So did you have any of that? I mean, and especially for the research that goes into the men around Angeline, like how I don't I don't know if this is going to come out sounding weird, but how did you handle the respect give, given to the men compared to the respect given to Angeline? Well, I think she was a huge, I mean, she says it herself, she wants to inspire people, and I think she was an inspiration to all the people around her. I talk a lot about the fame factory, almost, that she created around her, people trying to make stories about her, and we're part of that now. We're part of that story, right? We also tried to make a story about Angeline and then realized very early on that it was more, instead of being a biopic, that it was about the failure of biopics to kind of um, properly convey who a person is, right? We're not a collection of facts. We're the space in between those facts. We're everything else. And I think that once we embraced that and sought to understand kind of our own role in that, um, I think it, it became clear what, what we wanted to say mm -hmm. and where we wanted to end, which was giving her the ability to turn us off um, at the end of the series and giving her the last words in her voice. But we had access to all those people, too, and to her. So they were all kind of, all of those voices were in the writer's room um, at, at one point or another. And she was also a, a part of the show for a very long time. So, um, it, yeah, it, it was very interesting to see kind of A, B, all those stories and to find the things that were similar in them and then the incredible dis disparities in them. And I mean, because you were talking about the origin story, which there's less physical remnants of, perhaps. But did you find when you were crafting that piece of the story, both in the writing and in the performing, this is a very different Angeline, obviously in this respect of like she's not fully who we know her to be yet, but also just in the respect of we have more freedom because there's no expectation. I think for me, in terms of creating the character, I wanted to, with the Rachel character, I wanted to answer the question emotionally of why the Angeline character that we come to know needs that control. Why does she want to be out of her body? Um, that kind of aching and yearning to be felt in the body, that, that, I, 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 that it's too painful to be human. The pain of being alive, the pain of mortality, the pain of losing a parent, the pain of potentially, you know, uh, your own historical past and, and religious persecution, and the fear of that, to have been an engine for that. Maybe it's all of those things and maybe it's none. But when I met with Angeline, she said, I'm not going to tell you about me. I want you to tell the story as you see it because I'm a mirror. So whatever you see, that's the story you should tell. And that way it'll be your story and not my story. And I thought that was so deeply personal. She asked me you know, what moved me so much about the story and I said, 
She's a trailblazer. She was way ahead of her time. She's in control in every room that she walks into. And I said, and this Hollywood Reporter story, which she does not acknowledge as her truth, which I found so incredibly interesting. I said, regardless of that being her truth or not, I found it incredibly moving. Because as a Jewish woman, somebody who has been persecuted before for my Jewishness, I can understand how terrifying it would be to own that part of myself. I have felt afraid before. And the idea of escaping to fantasy, I find that incredibly beautiful, appealing, and strong. And she said, yeah, you should tell your story. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. And that's great. why I think she's so interesting, because she said, you know, she, she knows that she's an icon. Icons serve to, 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 to answer the, the quiet prayers and the things we need them to be. And that's why, for some people, she is, you know, a gay icon. And for some people, she is... Jewish icon, and for some she's just a pinup, and for some she's a joke because they don't respect women like that. And I think that that says so much about who we are. I think also. Don't the remember experience. the question. Will you answer it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that part of the experience I hope of watching the last episode is that when you watch that one, you think, "Did I need to know this? Mm -hmm. Like, do we need the mystery solved? What do we? What is the cost of needing to know everything about everyone now and needing to decide?" who people are for them. Like, why can't we just take people at what they say they are? Like, why can't we let people have that power? Why do we try to take that power? Mm -hmm. And I think that, I hope that's what you feel at, when you watch that last episode. Yeah. I also thought it was so brilliant how Allison um, wrote that in the end, we put Angeline and Rachel in literally the control room. Yeah. Like, we, we tell you at the end of the pilot, Angeline is always in control. And then we see that her younger self is literally in the control room. And I think that she really is always in control. Mm -hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by Equinox Hotels. Welcome to Equinox Hotel, Hudson Yards, the oasis of New York City. For those that want it all, Equinox Hotel has created the possibility for people to maximize their potential. A reimagined sleep experience built to optimize and energize. Their sleep chambers are built around the pillars of dark, quiet and cool. Dark, all lights have been eliminated on outlets and electronics and double curtains have been built into the windows to zero moonlight effect. Quiet, walls have super high transmission class ratings with vestibules built between rooms and cool. Room temperature is set based on scientific studies conducted by sleep scientists from Columbia and Berkeley's. Equinox Hotel is the first brand to partner with doctors to optimize your sleep. Coco Mat mattresses from Greece made with organic products such as dried coconut and real horsehair to absorb perspiration and cool your body in your sleep. Health is the new wealth. Be their guest and enjoy complimentary access to their 60,000 square foot Equinox Fitness Club, including indoor-outdoor pool and group fitness classes, or simply relax in their spa. Enjoy local and real cuisine from Electric Lemon, and during the summer months, retreat to the outdoor terrace perfect place to escape and connect while sipping on their classic and inspired cocktails while taking in views of the Hudson River and city. They look forward to welcoming you to their high-performance, modern luxury lifestyle experience. Book your experience now on equinox-hotels.com. What made you want to break the fourth wall though with you? Because that to me was such a surprise moment at the end of looking up and acknowledging 
I am just playing this part right now? What inspired that? Well, that was also part of us just owning again that failure, that kind of like, you know, we tried, you know, we tried to tell this story, but of course we failed. Like, we can't know who she is. Like, she gets to say who she is. And kind of um, owning that and kind of looking up at the sky when you look up at Angeline in the control room looking down at you and give her that power back to shut you off. Um, we just felt like it just felt right. Yeah, yeah. So I also want to go back a little bit more towards the, the premiere episode because we spend a lot of time with her earlier years like in, in her band, um, which I don't, I'm going to maybe speak ignorantly, but I didn't know a big part of her life was the band. I'll be really honest with you. I knew her from the billboards too. Um, what inspired that attention to detail in that area? Did, were you actively seeking to say, like, let's expand what people know about this woman? I'm just, I mean, if you get the chance to make something in late 70s LA, you do it, first of all. <laughs> but I mean, it was just such a dream to be able to recreate 70s Sunset Boulevard LA. And then I, mean, I just love the songs. I know it's silly, but I just, I still love the songs. It was also the first step on her way to billboards. It was when she started the posters, when she under, it, it's also the, the kind of crystallizing of the idea of it's, it's I'm gonna be famous not some, for something that I do, but for who I am. It, she always knew, she was the first person, you know, to know it is my image, it's my crafting and my styling of my image that, I mean, way decades before social media, right? right. Oh, by the way, she just joined Cameo. Oh no. What do you mean, oh no? It's fabulous. I'm worried what people are gonna ask her to do. That's well, what it is. She will not do anything she doesn't want to do. True. That's true. Still, I'm, very, like, I'm very excited for know. her. <laughs> In any case, control, control of your image. And, and I, you know, I think that that episode really shows her realizing that it, it's not me, I, I, I am the star. And it's me, it's just me. It's not something that I do, it's who I am. Right. We see her acting a little bit and we see her singing and it's just not that, it's just her essence. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of guts. I guess I was also thinking of it, and maybe I was just reading into this, but like spending so much time in that part in the beginning of the show and then getting to the end where you are breaking that fourth wall and commenting on like the state of celebrity, it felt a little full circle and it also felt like, I mean literally exactly what you just said about like did any of what she did matter on its own or did it all add up? Did we need all pieces to just add up to the final product? Well, there's a reason we start the show with pieces of a billboard being assembled, which is they're all flat, one-dimensional pieces that come together to make an image. It's not a three-dimensional image. It's just parts we're putting next to each other, which is a lot of how the show is. It's, it's these episodes that, when laid next to each other, give you a picture. Yeah. And it's a, it's a flat picture. And, but it's still a picture and so it's kind of it's part of that everything that goes into making up kind of the person we're saying she may be at least the character that we've created may be mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think it exists without one part but yeah we'll see I know we've talked a lot about like you can never really know a person's story and like you tried and, and everything but I am wondering if there is anything that you feel like you did learn about Angeline in making this show so much, <laughs> deep, deep, yeah, so much. I, I always take, I mean, as a, as a woman having to negotiate like a rate for my time, I mean, I, 
that's it's really powerful to see like she values herself and she knows what she has to offer and she's kind of always gotten her worth I think I hope and um, I think it's I think it's valuable for the rest of us as we as we go into negotiations to like own your power and ask for what you you deserve in life yeah and that I think f fear is the enemy um, I think as an actor and somebody that struggles with anxiety around my work. Um, I think that letting negative or intrusive thoughts, uh, drastic visions of my own failure, um, you know, would have held me back in fully embracing the positivity and the woman that she is. And I think her own um, fierce commitment to character and her own fierce commitment to belief in herself probably gave me some of the fuel that I needed to not doubt and just to go forward, to keep go, to go, go, go with this project because oh, it was terrifying. Because yeah. yeah. I was going to say, like, it feels like there, I can think of a few scenes that for me feel pretty terrifying if I were an actor. Like? Um, when Michael Angarano comes to the door and like, yeah. knows right, and sh like watching your face. So I don't. Or the arbitration I, scene. Yeah. I was I mean, very. I was that. I found very intimidating. That's what I was going to ask. It, when I don't it was put scripted. Words in your mouth, but like, yeah. I'm curious if there were any scenes where you kind of had to channel Angeline in order to like fight through some of that fear. Yeah, I th I assume I needed, and also I think she's a little bit of magic. She seems to kind of create magic and connections in the universe, and. Um, I, you know, I think that's some of that magic must have rubbed off on me because this doesn't happen to actors. You don't get to raise your hand and say, like, I really want to play this odd niche person. Please give me millions and millions <laughs> of dollars to, you know, for a budget to be able to tell this story and have a wonderful writer like Allison and, you know, the prosthetic te team. We were just like, it has to be the team that did Vice. It just has to be them. Like, we need them. It has to be them. And then you show it to them and they look cool. Like, I think it has to be a little bit of that. But there were moments in the script that I was terrified of. The scene in arbitration, which is so, um, thank you for writing it, Allison. But um, did I ever tell you how terrifying it was? Uh, you didn't. You didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. No. no, no, no. I've never. I would never tell anybody else. It's just like I would stay up all night. Yeah, but I'm just asking you to tell everybody. Okay, here, yeah. So. Well, it, we did it already, and it worked out fine. So <laughs> it was scripted as it's a. It's the moment in which Angeline, in present day, is being um, confronted with the historical facts in kind of a pseudo kind of courtroom arbitration situation. All the facts and and trauma of her childhood in a very, very cut and dry way. Um, and it's scripted as, so intimidating for an actor, the camera literally slowly pushes in on her face. <laughs> we hear these facts off camera as we see the history of a woman's life cross her face. I'm she so sorry, I'm like, so, so like, sorry. Like she fights against the emotion, she will not let it show. Like it's, it's, it's telling me exactly what I need to do and I'm just thinking, I don't know if I can and and, just like, and the camera never leaves her face as we end in like this in extreme close up just Underneath on her eyes. Underneath six hours of makeup. Yeah, and I'm just thinking like, okay, I'm I'm covered in eight hours of of latex. I need to be, and this woman does not want to be known. And this is, can you imagine having your kind of historical trauma placed in front of you, for in a room full of men that you don't know? Um, 
not only how to, how to channel the emotions that come with that, but also can I pull this off? Because this scene is just on my face and my face isn't my face. Um, so it's a lot of like, how do I just show that with my eyes and with my physicality? Um, and I, I find that sometimes the most challenging scenes are the ones in which we don't speak. Okay. Um, because the onus is upon us to tell a story silently. I do wanna, you said, you know, my face isn't my face. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot from different actors around like the costumes, the prosthetics sometimes helps you become the character, but in a situation like that where you maybe can't control your face the same way, is that true? I mean, you, you learn, it, it's a pretty quick learning curve to learn how much you have to do with your face in order to fight through it. And I actually found that the, the, the pieces that were put on my face were, um, were so thin that I did not have to do more than I would, I didn't have to do anything with my face to fight through it. Um, I had to fight through it with energy, um, but not, not like I'm gonna smile bigger. N nothing that, that that was that technically um, silly. And, and Kate Bisco, um, your makeup artist, was so phenomenal. And during that scene, she was sitting right off camera with an iPad with the camera streamed to the camera, like staring at your face. And I just knew, I mean, I hope at least that having someone like that let you let go a little bit of that piece and you could really kind of be in the scene and just trusting her and being she, her being so wonderful was huge. I think also that something that I learned from it was just... Um, it just gave me total freedom to disappear. I mean, because not only is my face not my face, my neck's not my neck, right? My earlobe, there's PVC piping in my nose in some scenes. There's two contact lenses, a blue for color, and then a big yellow scleral for aging that's like quite a large lens on top of the blue lens. Um, so it was very challenging um, physically, but again, that like commitment to positivity, um, no matter how much, how much fatigue I felt or how much physical discomfort, I could get like bliss, blisters all under the rib cage section of the breasts just from like it rubbing and costumes and um, <laughs> very just pink large bras. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that that like to staying in the pink mentally and reminding myself how grateful I was that I got to tell this story was just kept me in a good place. Yeah. So then on the flip side, I want to talk to you about both of you about like some of your most fun moments in crafting this story, because like we, we've talked a little a lot about the trauma and I would I would argue that that sounded traumatic. The lenses and the blisters like I could never do that. So the flip side of it, what were some of the pieces that you just felt like whether they were camp or not, these were the most fun to create on the page, on the screen, to tell this piece of the story. I mean, I think shooting in Los Angeles, we shot in Hollywood forever, and that's kind of where I met my husband, and like, it was just a really, um, it was such a fun place to do that because it's such a vibrant city. It's a city that's changing. Things closed that we intended to shoot at during COVID. We lost locations because they just didn't exist anymore. Things that we shot on, um, the crystal shop scene is shot um, a few blocks from my house mm. there. And when I watched the footage, I was like, none of those businesses exist anymore because of COVID. They're all gone. And for she a moment of fun. time, it's been documented. I did say fun. Fun. I mean, oh. the crystal shop scene is fun. Well, I mean, the I scene just think is it's, fun. it's so, it's amazing to have like that, a personal, I mean, 
I don't know, how many of you are writers? Writing, I mean, you, it's a dream to have something made and shot. I mean, it, it, it never gets old. And to see it come to life, I mean, even the difficult days, the, the long days and the days I know you've already been in the chair for like six hours and you still come and you bring it and you're fresh, it's like amazing to me like, that I get to do it. And so it's never, it's never bad. It's always just like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a girl from the Midwest. Like, <laughs> the fact that I get to do this is, is really never lost on me. I think getting to watch the other actors have so much fun too, who also got to age backwards and forwards. Yeah. I mean, getting to watch those kinds of transformations is so fun. I'm just gonna um, say it, like your show proved why Michael could have played the older version of his character on This Is Us. I love Griffin Dunn, but I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, um, I think that the fantasy sequences, which I found just so expansive, and which I think kind of just make us just not a biopic that just capture her energy. Yeah, <laughs> the ship. Um, yeah, we actually a, had a UFO. Yeah, we like had a, a physical yeah. huge UFO. Land on like Beverly Boulevard? Yeah. Yes. And it, at one point it was stored in the car wash and I got to go in it and take my picture in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just incredibly fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about like the idea of celebrity in the show, but you both are celebrities, so I want to talk to you about how this, sh get, don't make that face, how this show has shaped your um, view on your experience in the public eye, if, if there are lessons to be taken from Angeline's experience, or just in general, just telling a story this way if you think about it differently. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm always like, you don't really want to take pictures of the writer, like, come on guys, like you should have seen the 10 people involved in trying to get me to look like a human being in a photo, they're like, really? Like, you're not, but, like, but not just photos, I mean like interviews, just being asked, or like being I, known, being expected of certain things, having people think they know you from your writing, etc. Yeah, I mean I do think that there's a power that I'm slowly trying to come to terms with, you know, and I think that I think that um, we felt the responsibility of the show. Like we felt the power early on and like wanting to get it right. And that's kind of the anxiety of it, right? Like wanting to get it right so desperately. Um, and I don't know about being a celebrity. You'll have to talk about that. I don't know. My, my journey with that has been a long time because right. I made, I mean, I started working in the theater and the opera when I was seven and I, you know, started making movies in my early teens, and I remember the first time that a photograph was taken of me when I didn't know it was gonna be taken. I was like 16 and I was in Germany, um, d like on a press tour, so I should have known that was gonna happen, but it just, the idea of being a public person like was not, I didn't really conceptualize it yet. I hadn't really thought a lot about it, and this was way before social media, so that just wasn't part of it then because um, this is 20 years ago, and I, w I, there, I was leaving the hotel in the morning just to like go for a jog or something in the morning before the press junket was gonna start that day, and there was a paparazzi there, and they took my picture, and I ran back into the hotel, and I was crying and hyperventilating, and I said to my manager, Christian, who's still my manager, thank God, he's like my brother, oh my God, somebody took my picture. Like, that can never happen again. How do you prevent that from ever happening again? That felt terrible. I wasn't oh, ready. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. what to do. Like, I didn't know that was going to happen. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And he was like, okay, how long do you have? We need to talk. Um, and you just get used to this idea that um, part of the 
part of what comes with the joy and honor of getting to create stories and tell stories, which so many people want to do and don't get to do, is that there's a trade-off. That's just what it is. And if you want to do it, that comes with it. And that's just, you know, I also think like our, our story and the, the investigation of fame as an engine and interestingly enough for somebody who wanted to control their narrative and their story and, and control their life so much like Angeline, I imagine for somebody in our story kind of touches on this that the more and more famous you become, the less and less control you have. And for somebody like me who, you know, um, doesn't love that side of it, that's a, that, but, but loves doing what we do, that's just part of it. Yeah, as an introvert, telling the story of an extrovert <laughs> has been really interesting. And like see, thinking of people who are so outrageous in their lives, it's um, it's just something I admire, right? Like I wish I could be as outrageous as she is. As you know, she doesn't make apologies. She is really comfortable in her body at her at every single age, and is you know up there putting herself out there all the time, which is so counter to kind of what I would like to do on a yeah. Saturday. <laughs> That's why we're writers, and she's the actor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to open it up to questions. If anybody has any in the audience, we welcome. Yes. Thank you for telling this story. It was fascinating. And Emmy, your performance, I forgot it was you, like, the whole time it was Me up. too. Uh, amazing. <laughs> um, and I had just watched Inventing Anna, and I saw some parallels, and I guess... What you asked earlier, like the whole reason it intrigues me so I just want to know like how, how did these people like have no money, no, I mean like no, like um, didn't come from these wealthy families or, and then just like completely reinvent themselves. It just fascinates me. Um, but then I tend to go in deep dives and so I guess I was just wondering, um, are all of the characters that are in the series, are they all real people like the, um, like the band Baby Blue and the, you know, are those all real people or, you know, are some aspects of it just for the series to, to like um, symbolize somebody or some entity? What is truth? What is real? <laughs> I mean, we, they're definitely characters drawn from many people kind of all put together in different ways. She does have a, we, Jordan's the name. Yeah, oh, Jordan, Jordan Michaels yeah. is, the, is the Corey character. Yeah. And that's somebody who was the front of that band and was, they were in a relationship at that time. And, and the other two. I would love for you to look him up. And he's got a, yeah. He's, he hasn't, he actually has an audio book. He has an audio and a book, book coming up like and he show. will want us to tell yeah. you that. He really would like us to tell you that. Um, yeah, we talked to a lot of people, you know, we did a lot of interviews there, you know, there are definitely people like I said, this sort of fame factory that kind of came up around her, there's all those kinds of people exist in the world. I mean, they're not, again, they're not the real people, because how could they be? But we did a lot of interviews, did a lot of research. We watched a lot of videos of people that were, have been around her in her life over the years. And, but then eventually we had to kind of take a step back and make characters um, from those people. Obviously, there were no, I mean, that we know of, flying cars or descending from a pink moon, <laughs> although, I mean, there may, there honestly may have been. Um, but like the Wendy character, the Harold character, um, those are real 
people. I mean, he he was her billboard printer for many years. That that like the story of like the troubles, you know, within their home life yeah. because of that. Her being an actress, that's all true. And Kathy is actually the the woman that inspired the character of Wendy. Um, uh, is actually um, not really an actress anymore, but I think she would like does. to be. And she's in one of our episodes in a cameo role. Um, so so yeah. that's fun too. And she did write a one act play called Los Angeline. Uh-huh. It's based on a real one act play. Um, that the idea of that. And she. she but she doesn't did. flip a table in yeah. it. Like that. That's you know. That we, that we know yeah, we of. Know. We yeah, I mean, like, uh, some weird things. Just there's definitely kind of, you know, a heightened reality, but, but there is kind of, there is kind of our version of those kernels of truth. Yeah. I would have never known about Angeline or um, that she even existed. So that's also why I think it's, you know, important that you tell these stories because I've just been here my whole life. So. <laughs> It's you funny know, though, I you'll watch it. things now and you'll probably see her in weird ways. It's become this kind of shorthand for LA. Like if you're selling like, oh, we're in LA, they put an Angeline billboard in the background, like The Simpsons, Futurama. The Day After Tomorrow, Day which after is tomorrow. a movie I was in when I was 16, has an Angeline billboard in it. Yeah. All very like, what, what, what parallel universe <laughs> is messing with us now? There are some very universal themes in this series, especially when it comes to women asserting their power in arenas that are, were dominated by men at that time. With it being such a hyper-local story to like LA, did you face any resistance initially in convincing production partners or whatever it may be that this was a story worth sharing with the world that people outside of LA will totally resonate with? Well, my initial pitch had a lot of photo documents um, and um, kind of showing it like really as an LA story and LA evolving over 50 years. Um, and then at the end, I showed a lot of famous women who have transformed themselves into this incredibly blonde, um, very glossy uh, social media version of themselves and they all kind of start to look the same. And when you look at the befores and you look at the afters and then you look at, you see kind of how women have been kind of self-actualizing in a way. And it was that kind of kernel of an idea, the idea of her being kind of the original kind of influencer that I think was a selling point. because you often have to make a show larger than, um, you know, that aspect that's going to be its deterrent. Um, But inherently, it's really a story about reinvention. And Los Angeles is the place that you can do that. Um, But but that wasn't, so that was definitely something that occurred to me could be um, an issue in selling it, but didn't end up being an issue at all. Hi, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just super curious about the experience of creating a period piece in Los Angeles. Um, I'm working on a project right now that's also a period piece in LA and just the challenges and also the excitement and some of the hurdles and tricks you've had to do to sort of capture that both cultural zeitgeist and the location and then also recreating structures and places that are well known that are no longer in existence. 
Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, if you think of wherever you plant the camera, if you're in the 80s, there's so much in the shot that isn't from the 80s. And then all of that either needs to be changed by putting something over it or um, putting or using VFX to digitally erase it after. And all of that is money. All of that is time. Um, and so it's, it's hard to sell them. It's hard to, it's hard to produce them. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, I don't know if I have any tips. It's really hard. <laughs> you get a good art director and a good production designer, our production designer, Jamie Hall, I mean, would just, was tireless about going out, you know, on, we shot on Hollywood Boulevard, we shot in Musso and Franks, we shot at the Arclight, well, what used to be the wow. Arclight um, movie theater. Um, and, you know, and you've got to find the pockets. In Los Angeles, and specifically, you have to find the pockets that haven't been changed, and it's, it, you have to really kind of crop it down, which is appropriate for Los Angeles, because when you come here, if, if you haven't been, you go there and you think, oh, I didn't expect it to look like this. And it's because it's so heavily, like, kind of cropped. I think the easiest thing to do is the beach. Yeah. But would you, what would you say your split was between like practically changing things and using VFX? I mean, mostly practical. We really only did VFX cleanup for like things you couldn't couldn't change. Like even the you know they would change out the street signs and they would change out all the advertisements and they would change, uh, move all the cars out and the, the picture car budget alone to kind of like bring all those period cars in. Um, it's it's absurd. But we did really, we did, like, we did not want to do things with VFX. We really, because Angeline is kind of self-made and kind of slightly put together with tape and string, like, it doesn't look expensive. It looks original and really, really cool. And, and a lot of what, like, Lucy and Allison were committed to was, like, how do we create this in camera? How do we do this as an in-camera effect, mm -hmm. right? So, like, when, even when, like, in the first episode when the car turns pink, it, it's not like this like pink that's like overtaking the car like fluid magic with CGI. It's literally just like she touches it and now we're in a shot where it's pink. Like, so turn, it, the, turn the camera off and bring the other car in. Yeah, turn the camera <laughs> off, bring the other camera in, put the hand there and keep going. So it really was like how do we do these in-camera things so that it feels also like the storytelling is of that handmade essence, right? Like our, our even our like outer space doesn't look mm -hmm. like you know, interest. It doesn't look like a Chris Nolan outer space yeah. because that wouldn't honor Angeline. Like the number of times we talked to VFX people where we were like, no, 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 don't take that out. Like we want that part. We, we like, don't oh, the want cloud, it to look But the real. clouds are, are hanging with string. We're like, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. No, they're cotton clouds. They're, that co we're they're literally cotton. Pink. They're supposed to be cotton. <laughs> don't make them. Right. In a computer, make them out of cotton balls. Right. <laughs> uh, all right, we have time for one more question. So you talked about the costumes earlier, and I saw your Instagram post, which was beautiful. Um, I wanted to know what your favorite costume was and what the emotion that was evoked was behind it. I think my favorite costume is probably the arbitration outfit. Um, it's got lightning bolts on it. And they're like pink and purple lightning bolts, and, bolts, and it's got this like incredible bolero. Um, and I think that's really... I think that when a costume isn't just a costume, it talks about what the character's trying to achieve, either subconsciously with some characters or very consciously with Angeline. I think in that moment, she wants to torch them. She wants to just light them on fire. And I just think that that print was so perfect. And I think that one of the most interesting things about 
you know, working with Danny was he didn't call the, uh, it was hard to, to know what scene, like number we were gonna do because he would be like, oh, that's the dress for the don't fuck with me fellas scene. And we'd be like, okay, but what scene is that? He's like, it's the don't fuck with me fellas scene, which is that scene you just watched, don't fuck with me fellas. Um, so it was really interesting that he, you know, really deeply, I think that it's so important that, that you know, your HODs are talking emotionally about things, not just practically about how to achieve them, but to make sure that everyone is after the same emotional kind of texture. And that's when I think that, you know, that's when I think everyone's having the same conversation. I used to joke that I was just gonna give Danny's number to people who wanted to interview me because he was so, <laughs> he had thought so much about the material and he was so well-spoken and committed and like he had so many insightful thoughts, like things that I didn't even think about when I wrote consciously. He would articulate to me, I'd be like, I'm just gonna give him your number, Danny. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank all of you for being here. Thank you. If you haven't finished the series, it's on Peacock in the U.S. I do not know where it is in Canada. You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.